Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, After Jesus had been born at Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod, some wise men came to Jerusalem from the east. Where is the infant king of the Jews, they asked. We saw his star as it rose and have come to do him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was perturbed, and so was the whole of Jerusalem. He called together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people and inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. At Bethlehem in Judea, they told him, for this is what the prophet wrote, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men to see him privately. He asked them the exact date on which the star had appeared and sent them on to Bethlehem. Go and find out all about the child, he said, and when you have found him, let me know, so that I too may go and do him homage. Having listened to what the king had to say, they set out, and there in front of them was the star they had seen rising. It went forward and halted over the place where the child was. The sight of the star filled them with delight, and going into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and falling to their knees, they did him homage. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod and return to their own country by a different way. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Conceive without sin, pray for us who have recourse to the. Um, I don't know about you, but for me it's always a great joy to celebrate this particular feast of the Epiphany. And it was the same at the first Epiphany. The Bible, which I use, says that as the Magi drew near to Christ in Bethlehem, they literally rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. You couldn't possibly fit more joy into a sentence if you tried. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It was the joy of the real presence of Christ, the real presence of God made flesh now in our poor, sinful, broken world. And it's still our only true joy. I hope you have something of that joy as you draw near the Mass each week. You come near the real presence of the same divine person. 
The Magi come bearing gifts for the occasion. In Ireland, we always say, don't go to somebody's house with one arm as long as the other. I don't know if you use that expression in England, but in other words, carry a gift with you. And the Magi uh, did that in spectacular fashion, really. They brought him these extraordinary gifts, but more than their generosity, they've been inspired in the choice of gifts. The gifts have mystical meaning, so they bring gold, which honors the kingship of this little child. They bring myrrh, which is a burial ointment, and it's to remind us of the fact that this little king will take up his reign through the cross, through his passion and death. So there's a mystical meaning to be pondered in that. Christ on the cross, he breaks the power of sin. He gives us back grace so that God can reign in our hearts, that the prince of this world might be cast out. And so it's through the cross, through this mare, through this burial, that he will be victorious. There is also incense in their treasures, and we know that incense is used for divine worship, used to worship the divinity. And so they're showing not just the divinity of Christ, but that he has come into the world to bring us the true and perfect worship. What you are doing today, the mystery you are entering into through the sacrificial uh, nature of the Mass is the perfect adoration, the perfect worship. And so the incense is there to reveal that. And even further, it is through the liturgy, through the Mass, that Christ really takes up his reign. He gives us the fruit of the cross, the fruits of his passion through the mystery of the divine liturgy. It was fitting, since Christ has come to die for our sins, it was fitting that the first ones who saw him were the shepherds of Bethlehem. You know, in Bethlehem is where they kept the little lambs which would be used for sacrifice in the temple. And so those little shepherds perhaps were watching over those lambs for sacrificial worship in the temple, and they saw the true Lamb of God uh, first. And now it's the turn of the Magi to see the joy of the world, and they bring out the fact that he's not just a lamb, but he's also a shepherd king. And so all of these mysteries are to be pondered in this text. As these pagan men come to the Lord, come and do him homage, that represents the fact that all of paganism, all the pagan religions which had existed in the world up until that time, they were all destined to lead the world to Christ. That was their purpose. And when these pagan men bow down in homage before the Lord, all of those religions come to their fulfillment. So they personify those good pagans who through the little seeds of truth that were found amongst the errors contained in their own religion were drawn to Christ or would be drawn to Christ. Our own ancestors were those good pagans. We've forgotten about that today. We're so used to being now the chosen people that we, but we were once those good pagans who would find their way to Christ through their uh, pagan mysteries, their pagan religions, because it was the pagan mysteries that led these men to follow the star and brought them to the way, the truth, and the life. So our Lord is the only way. 
the only truth, the only life, the only way to the Father, as he said himself. And here we see that mystery contained. We're told that the Magi have come from the east. Literally in Greek, the word means from the place of the dawn, from the place of the rising sun. It's the same in Latin, the Oriente. The Orient is the place of the rising sun. And so they've been led by this star from the place of the rising sun. It seems that they came to do Christ homage as a king, but when they come into his presence, they feel that there's something mysterious about this child. They fall to their knees and they adore him, give him true adoration, so they feel something more in their hearts, in their souls. There's something more than a normal human earthly king present before them. They are inclined to adore him. It's a beautiful Eucharistic attitude. You come before the Lord, but you're not, you don't stop at appearances. You have to pierce the appearances through the Mass, through the liturgy, and perceive in your heart the divinity of the one who is present in the Eucharist. And they drop to their knees. It's the only appropriate attitude to have in the real presence of God made flesh. And so they saw something, maybe not with their minds, but with their hearts. They per perceived something mysterious here. This child has not come like them from the land of the rising sun, from the land of dawn, but from the land before dawn. It's written in Psalm 110. From the womb before the dawn, I begot you. That's God the Father, the Eternal Father, speaking to his Eternal Son. Before the dawn, I begot you. Before Abraham was, I am, Christ would say 32 years later. And really before the sunlight even existed, before the dawn of the first day, Jesus was, the Eternal Word, uh, was. He is eternal. His little hands are not yet strong enough to even cling to Our Lady's mantle, and yet these are the hands of the one who set the planets on their course. As God made visible, Christ is necessarily King of all creation. In the flesh, He is now the King of all that exists. But what is the kingship that really interests Christ? I think you get a hint or an idea of it in his conversation with Pontius Pilate on the day of his death. Pilate was speaking to him about his kingdom and Christ said, for this I was born and for this I came into the world to bear witness to the truth and all those who are on the side of truth listen to my voice. So there he explains to us why he's in Bethlehem, why he was born. For this I was born to bear witness to the truth. And so if you believe in Christ, believe in his gospel, if you live in that truth, if you are faithful to that truth, you're in the kingdom of Christ while still on earth. And the more that individuals or nations drift away from that truth of Christ, the more they drift away from the sweet reign of the King of Kings. But even more than a kingdom of truth, that's one dimension of it, I think there's more contained in this mystery of Christ's kingdom. You get a hint of it, I think, in what happened one year before Christ's death, 
on the feast of Passover, just one year before he would go to his passion. Our Lord, you remember he multiplied the loaves and everybody got very excited. 5,000 men were ready to take him by force and proclaim him king. So they believed in his kingship. When they saw that sign, they wanted to bring him to Jerusalem and enthrone him as their king. Now, if you were interested in a worldly kingdom, what you need is an army. That's what you need in order to seize power. Here he had 5,000 men ready. That was a good start to uh, taking up uh, an earthly reign. But if you remember what happened, the very next day, Christ threw it all away. He threw it all away in the synagogue of Capernaum. It's in John chapter 6, when he preached on the Eucharist, when he preached on the bread of life. Everybody was scandalized. They said they couldn't make sense of it, and they walked away. So Jesus threw away an earthly kingdom, the possibility of an earthly kingship for the sake of a Eucharistic kingship, a Eucharistic kingdom. And our Lord has spoken uh, about that to many of his saints. There's a beautiful French-Canadian saint called Blessed Dina Belanger, and our Lord revealed to her, really, that he came to establish a Eucharistic reign. You see, even here in Bethlehem, there are Eucharistic allusions. The word Bethlehem means house of bread. So he's come to become the bread of life. He's laid in a manger, from the French word manger, to eat. And uh, he's come to nourish us, to be our spiritual, mysterious, heavenly food. That's what he's come to do. And he said to Blessed Dina Belanger that... When he comes to us in the Eucharist, he wants to give us all of his love. It's his heart that we receive, all of his love. He wants to receive all of our love in return. But then he wants to love through us. And that's what the Eucharistic reign is. When you allow Jesus to take control and through the Eucharist, through Holy Communion, you allow him to love through you, to make his love visible and real in the world again uh, today. And so our Lord desires that. He said to her, I desire it so intensely that the desire would take my life were that possible. The desire to give you his love and then to reign in you through the Eucharist. He desires that with such an intensity that it would take his very life were that possible. So remember that as you approach the altar rails for Holy Communion, as you're about to receive the Lord, you are receiving somebody who has such a desire for you that that could almost take his life. And with what kind of desire do you receive him?